Hi, my name is Gina Calabrese, and I want to say thank you very much to Jerry McKay, Father Brian, Mike Griffin, and everyone who well, is welcoming me to this beautiful, beautiful night. I also want to give a very special thank you to my beautiful mother who came out tonight <clears throat> knowing that what she is going to hear tonight um, isn't going to be very easy for her. So I thank her. She's a wonderful, special, beautiful woman. And if you leave, I understand. It's a beautiful night. The grotto is one of my favorite places to be. I've spent hours here during really tough times. My dress is blowing up. <laughs> this isn't good. Wind, please stop. Okay. Um, <clears throat> as a little girl, I wrote a letter. Um, I wrote a letter to God one night. I wrote, Dear God, if you are real, please write me back. Love, Gina. I folded the piece of paper up, went to, went to sleep that night, hoping that I would get a response. I woke up in the morning, and I was disappointed. God did not write me back. But I tried. I continued to check in the mornings to see if he had written back, and he didn't. One day I got back home from school, and my mom was holding a piece of paper in her hands. And she said, Gina, you know, what is this? I said, Mom, if God is real, he's going to write me back. And she's like, sweetheart, that's not how God works. You have to believe in God with your heart. He's not going to prove himself like that. You have to believe with your heart. I was grateful to my mom who took the time to explain that to me in a very loving way. Now about my family, I grew up in a home where I was the oldest of four children. 15 months younger than me was my brother Bobby. And then four months younger than Bobby was Chris. And two months younger than, uh, two years younger than Chris was Nick. So there were four of us. I was the oldest of four and the only, only girl. Our family went to church on weekends, definitely not every weekend, but my mom definitely piled us into her, you know, Astro minivan and, and took us over to St. Mary's on the weekends when she could. Um, we had Father Tom Donahue, God rest his soul. He was part of our life. He would come over for, for dinners. Um, my brother and I received our communion together right at St. Mary's. So I got all the sacraments and I went through the whole, you know, religious ed thing. <clears throat> but to be honest with you, I didn't have a heartfelt connection to it at all. You know, I kind of understood God as more of an abstract concept, just sort of out there. Definitely not in my heart, though. But I understood that there was a God. But I learned religion like I learned English, science, social studies, and math. It was just another thing to be learned. The four of us went through the Long Beach school system as um, student athletes. You know, um, Nick played football and baseball. Chris played basketball. He did really well. He was an all-county basketball player. Bobby was a wrestler. He actually went to Kellenberg for three years, and he wrestled there, where he was a state champ. And then in his senior year, he finished at Long Beach High School. And I went through the schools, and I became a windmill softball pitcher. I did well enough at Long Beach High School to earn a full scholarship to St. John's University, and I pitched for the women's softball team there from 1997 to 2001. I lived in Queens right off of Union Turnpike, right by St. John's. When you're a Division I athlete, you're mandated to live on campus, but St. John's at that time did not have, um, they didn't have dorms, so I lived off campus. Any connection that I had to the church with my family before in Long Beach was no longer there. I was on my own, I was free. I was in Queens, uh, living on my own as a young adult. 
I never prayed. I never went to church and never even really thought about God. I lived college life without God in my life. Besides, I still, got a, I still doubted God's existence anyway. My senior year at St. John's, I met a man who was to become my husband. His name was Anthony. We moved to College Point together after I graduated. I had secured a teaching job on the border of Flushing Bayside, and he was working at Citigroup in Long Island City. Um, we got married in 2003. We lived life working our jobs during the week, then hanging out with friends, partying, and going out to dinner every Friday night. That was our thing. We went out to dinner every Friday night. We went to a little restaurant um, off College Point Boulevard, and we would drink a bottle of wine, maybe two, and we would just go out to dinner. We had a great night. So this particular night, it was a, a cold winter night. It was actually December 3rd. 2004, we did that. We went out to dinner, we had a great time, we went home, went to sleep, and at 1.30 in the morning, my phone rang. It was my mom. She said, Gina, you have to get home. Something happened with one of your brothers. I begged her to tell me, I begged her to tell me, I said, who, mom, you know, which brother? I was kind of persistent, I said, which one? Is Bobby, Chris, Nick, who? And finally she said, it's Bobby. Very slowly, she said, it's Bobby. The drive home from College Point to Long Beach was the longest drive ever. I did it a lot because I was at St. John, so I would often come back to see my family. I love them, so I was here quite often, um, maybe every couple of weekends or so. We drove back, Anthony drove. We we're coming down Austin Boulevard, and on the left-hand side, um, right after I passed out back, on the left-hand side by the 7-Eleven in Island Park, I could see there were there were police cars and you know something had happened. And um, what I said to Anthony was, I think my brother got into an accident. I think he was in a car accident. I said, I, I don't care if he's disfigured. I don't care if he's paralyzed. I just want, to know, I just want him alive. That's all I want is him to be alive. Um, my brother was gorgeous. You know, he had a modeling career at one point. Um, he was named best looking in, in the schools. Every, every one of my friends wanted to date my brother. He was just gorgeous. So saying that he would be disfigured would be a big deal, but it, wouldn't, it would still be better than anything but him not being with us. So we get down um, over the Long Beach Bridge, we make the left, and we're coming up Harrison Street, and I could see as I'm pulling closer to Franklin Boulevard that um, there were a bunch of cars in front of my house, and the cars were parked in um, just odd ways, you know, on, on angles, double parked. There were cars all over the place. And when I looked up at my mom, my mom and dad's house, my childhood, our childhood home, I could see that like the lights were on and it looked like a Friday night party, truly. From the street it looked like, you know, there was a wild party going on, but um, it was anything but. As it got closer to the house and we parked the car, I, I met eyes with my cousin Nicole, who's a little older than me. And as soon as, she, as soon as we locked eyes, she turned her head and she had a thick head of curly black hair and that was it, she, she could not look at me. I knew in that moment that what I was about to hear was not gonna be good. As I walked up the stairs, I could hear the loud cries of my brother Bobby's girlfriend, Michelle, coming from the house. When I walked in and opened the door, my mom was there to greet me. I could tell that my mom was visibly upset. She had tears in her eyes and she said, Gina, your brother's been shot. I said, okay, well, where is he? Where is he? I just wanted to see him and she was like, Gina, 
she said, he, he's no longer with us. And I was like, what do you mean he's no longer with us? I, I just couldn't accept the fact that my brother was not alive. He, he was dead. My brother was dead. When I found that out, I ran back down my parents' sta- stairs, down the block, and I just, I couldn't even, I remember not feeling like I could even breathe. I was gasping for air. I was obviously hysterical crying. And I'm like, how could, how could this be? This, this can't be. You know, I just couldn't wrap my, my mind around the fact that my brother was, was gone and, and shot at that. In the following days, I thought for sure that my brother had gotten shot maybe rescuing someone in a bank robbery or, um, you know, helping someone in some way. I thought maybe he, he broke up a fight because my brother was a very bold, courageous soul. You know, and he loved to help people. My brother absolutely loved to help people. But in the next days and weeks to come, as the detectives started the investigations, it was found out that my brother had been involved in gambling for about six weeks. And a man by the name of Mark Orlando owed my brother $17,000. And instead of paying that money to him, he hired a gunman to shoot my brother. Bobby was deliberately set up and murdered. What made matters worse and truly turns turns my heart into stone was that this was premeditated murder. The two men, Mark Orlando, who was the mastermind behind this, and the gunman, Hervé Janot, plotted this out weeks before it actually happened. I hated them with every single fiber of my being. I wanted them both dead. I wanted their families dead. The hatred, disgust, and contempt I had for them grew more and more as we sat through the murder trials in Nassau County. I also couldn't stand the sight of the defense attorneys. I couldn't stand the sight of anybody. I didn't want to be in court. I thought, how could anyone defend these animals? Whenever the defense attorneys spoke, I was disturbed by anything that they said. From 2004 to 2010, there were a total of five murder trials to convict these two men. With each day sitting in court while I thought it was impossible to hate them anymore, I found myself hating them more and more. The hatred grew. And every time I hated them more, I got sicker and sicker. In those six years, from 2004 to 2010, the expression by St. Augustine ran completely true in my life. Resentment is like drinking poison expecting the other person to die. I hated them with a passion, and hate isn't even a strong enough word, to be honest with you. They were in jail, but I was the one carrying around this hatred. I started living my life self-destructively. I was self-medicating in any way that I could possibly find. At one point, I found myself down to 118 pounds, which for me, um, I've always had more of an athletic build and definitely more pounds on it. It was very thin. My face was drawn. I pushed people that I loved away, including my husband, some of my best friends, and almost my family. I would do anything to take myself out of the pain that I was carrying, this hatred. My closest friends, my career, um, were disappearing over the years. They, They were going one by one. Friends were leaving, careers were going, jobs were going, quitting jobs, not making decisions coming from a very good place. I was a mess, as they say, a hot mess. I was a walking disaster living completely, completely without God. Selfish, self-centered to the core and hateful. I was sick in every way, mentally, spiritually, physically, and emotionally. 
sick to the point where I was barely functioning on a daily basis. I went to a doctor and she told me I was going down a really dangerous road. She, she advised me to change my ways and she told me to get help and I did. I went away and I got some help. When I got back, um, when I got back, I was sent to a recovery group, conveniently about a half mile away from the courthouse where we were attending now the fifth trial to convict the shooter, Hervé Janot. So basically at this point in 2010, some days I was going to my recovery group to get help and some days I was attending this trial to try to convict the shooter. Um, I walked into a place in Mineola, um, part of the recovery group, and I walked down the stairs on this particular morning, and there was this guy, this bald, one-eyed guy, yelling. He was our speaker at this recovery group. He was yelling, he was slamming his book, he was cursing, and he said something to the effect of, if you guys don't change your ways, you're a bunch of, and I cannot curse here, because it just wouldn't be good. It, he, was, he was cursing at us. Um, I was scared of the guy. Uh, he, he was very, very intimidating. I wanted to leave. I, I wanted to just go, but I didn't. I sat down in the first row and I listened to him anyway. What happened was that morning, before I went to my recovery group, I stopped by to see my mom at my childhood home. And my brother Bobby lives downstairs from my parents. It was a two-family house. And in his window, there was a sticker that said, no fear, it was this logo, you may have seen it. I know it's hard to see from here, but it's like a surfing logo, I think. I sketched that into my recovery notebook. I said, okay, I said to myself, no fear. You're gonna sit here and you're gonna listen to this guy. He might be scary, but you're gonna listen to him. This guy was a monster. That's the only way that I could describe him. Like I said, bald head, one eye. Um, and he began to share he began to share how he had just gotten out of jail for killing somebody. <laughs> All that hatred that I had toward the two guys that killed my brother was now just completely directed at this monster. He was a killer. I sat there and every ounce of that hatred, contempt poison, I held in as I listened to this guy talk. Then he began to talk about his childhood he shared how when he was young, he used to be put out in the streets to fight people. He shared how he was made fun of his whole life. He shared how his father had seriously beaten him. And all of a sudden, all that hatred and that contempt that I was feeling started to fade a little bit and I had like a soft spot in my heart. I was beginning to feel a little empathy for this killer. He had really, really been hurt as a child. He stopped sharing his story, and people in the group raised their hands to respond to what he had just shared. The idea was to identify with his feelings in an effort to help all of us in the group. I listened to everybody share, but I was certainly not going to share with this monster. Toward the end of the meeting, he looked at me with his one eye, and he pointed at me, and he said, you, what do you have to say to me? Just like that, like nasty. In that moment, a white light surrounded me and this guy, 
The light was from floor to ceiling surrounding the two of us. It was as if we were in a white tunnel and all I could see was him. I couldn't see anything else in the room, but it was just me and him. The words came out of my mouth. I was scared of you. What do I have to say to you? I was scared of you because of the way that you were speaking to us. And I hated you because you killed somebody. My brother was killed. But then I listened to your story and I realized that you need to be forgiven. And I need to forgive the two guys that killed my brother. The light left. We were back in the room, things were back to normal. I could see in my peripheral vision and everybody else was, was there again. But something was different. That big scary monster was now in tears. He was crying, I was crying, and everyone in the group around us was crying. He pointed at me and in a soft voice, he said to me, you women, some of you women deserve the Purple Heart. The two of us got up out of our seats. We hugged. The next day, I went into the courtroom. As we were waiting to go into the courtroom, out of the corner of my eye, I could see the shooter's parents approaching the door to go into court. I felt the sudden and profound nudge to go and open the door for them. I raced them to the door and opened the courtroom door for his parents. They looked at me like, what are you doing? My family and friends looked at me like, what are you doing? And I was even like, what am I, what am I doing? The day before, I'm wishing death on every one of you. And now I'm opening the door 24 hours later. Ezekiel verse 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Two weeks after this Holy Spirit encounter, the man who shot my brother hung himself in prison. Now logic would tell you I would be celebrating this. I would be joyful about this. For six straight years, I wish nothing but death on this man, but the loving heart of Jesus Christ had touched me. I literally couldn't celebrate the news. I cried. I shed tears for the man who shot my brother and his family. This past Monday, Mark Orlando, the mastermind, had got granted an appeal this past Monday, just a couple of days ago. And we faced Mark Orlando. And uh, I got to do what they call a victim's impact statement, along with my courageous mother and my father. And we got to tell him how we really feel. I got to tell Marco Orlando how I really felt. I got to tell him about the grace of God, how this grace freed me from the hatred that I had for him and, and the hatred that I had for Irve Janot. That was grace. Things in God's world don't make sense to us. We are finite beings with a limited capacity to understand God is infinite. He is outside of space and time. He is pure love. God sees everything and is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving. He loves you. I guess my message to you is that he loves you, and he is present with each and every one of us tonight. 
He's always present, whether you are cursing out the person who just caught you off, cut you off in your car, or you're on your knees in church, or you're feeling angry at family members, or you're feeling lonely because your kids don't visit you, whatever it is, God loves you, no matter what. It's an unconditional love. There's nothing special about me. I'm just another parishioner, nothing. I'm a sinner. <laughs> I did not deserve this grace that was put on me. I did not deserve it. I was doubting God, cursing God, wishing death on people, and I got this gift. Any one of us could have this gift. Any one of us, God wants to give grace to all of us. He loves us all the same. He even loves our enemies. He loves our enemies as much as he loves us, and I know that's hard to hear. Father Brian just talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It's true. He loves our enemies, those people that we hate. He loves them just as much as he loves us. His love is unconditional. I mentioned when I was a little girl that I wrote the letter to God asking him to write me back. Dear God, if you are real, please write me back. Love, Gina. I chose at a very young age to not believe in God. And I guess my hope tonight is to share, like, God is real. God is a fact. Don't doubt God. God is with us. He loves us. He wants to help us. He wants to be here with us. You know, in God's world, things don't make sense. Things might not be logical. It's because we can't understand it. God sees the big picture. God brings people that were enemies back to being friends. We're enemies coming to love our enemies. In God's world, anything can happen. Expect a miracle. I want to mention one last thing because I, I can't not mention this. Um, through a very odd set of circumstances last year, I found myself on the phone with a man by the name of Bill Petrillo. If I told you tonight that Bill Petrillo was with us, it wouldn't make much sense. Let me tell you a little bit about Bill Petrillo, the man who defended the guy that shot my brother. Mr. Petrillo is listed in New York Super Lawyers. He has been selected for the National Trial Lawyers Top 100 Criminal Defense Trial Attorneys, the nation's top 1% distinguished counsel, lawyers of distinction, and is a member of the Criminal Courts Bar Association of Nassau County, Nassau County Bar Association, former Assistant District Attorneys Association of Nassau County. He is a former member of the National Association of Distinguished Counsel, the National Association of Cri Criminal Defense Attorneys, the New York State Association of Criminal Defense Attorneys, and the New York State Trial Lawyers Association. Impressive, right? That's nothing compared to what else I read on Bill's website. Mr. Petrillo has performed many hours of pro bono service and seeks to share the love of God with all his people. He is an ordained Christian pastor, a preacher, and a Bible teacher. Pastor Petrillo gives all praise, glory, and honor to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and seeks to bring him glory and honor with his life. This criminal attorney that just defended the man that shot my brother in the head had a conversion several years ago, and he turned his life over to, to God. My enemy in that courtroom is here with us today. Bill, can you just come up for a sec?
I love you. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, guys. I had no idea that uh, I'd be mentioned, never mind up here speaking to you. So I just want to say that Gina's story is cannot be explained in any other way other than the real, true, living God, the one who left heaven, came here, died on the cross for our sins, and rose again, extended his grace in her life. And he's the one that took away her pain. He's the one that allowed her to literally forgive the two men responsible for brutally murder murdering her brother. There could be no other explanation as to how Gina could carry that heavy burden for so long, and in an instant, when the bright light, when the Holy Spirit revealed himself and took that off of her, and also took away from her any desire to ever self-medicate again in that moment. And what I want you all to know is that same God is as intimately involved in each of your lives as he is in Gina's life. Don't ever sit here and think, wow, how could that have happened to Gina, but not me? He is as personally and intimately involved with you. And if it was just you and no one else that was here, he would have died on the cross for you. So I know that many of us now are going through so many trials and tribulations, burdens and heartaches, and you're either in a trial right now or someone you love and care for is. Never give up on your miracle. Never give up on your God. He's a good God. He's a perfect God. And the things that don't make sense to us in this life the things that don't make sense to us in this fallen, broken, corrupted world will make sense to us one day when because of what Jesus did on the cross and because of our faith and trust in him, we enter into his presence for eternity in a real place called heaven that's far greater than any one of us could ever even fathom. So God bless you all. I love the Calabrese family. I am so blessed to have our paths crossed in the last year and to be close friends. They are so important to me, the entire family. I'm so proud of them. I'm so blessed to be up here speaking for them. And I just want to thank you and thank them and thank God. Most importantly, let's give all the glory, honor, and praise to God because he alone gets the glory. God bless all of you. And that's it. And Bill and I are going to be working on a project. We're collaborating on a project um, to put out a video about forgiveness. And it's been in the works for a while, but we've had challenges like COVID and other things come up. But um, we're going to be doing that, so keep you posted. And thank you, every one of you. Beach Catholic, I love you. You are my family. Um, I absolutely love Beach Catholic. I love my community. I love everyone. And, um, and that's it. Thank you. <laughs>